On our special 50th episode of the Pool Pro Podcast, we learn from returning guest Terry Arco. What Terry has to say about breakpoint coronation may shock you. Listen as the podcast begins now. podcast this is michelle cavanaugh my co-host dave rockwell here hey dave we are excited to have this guest back again he's been on before he's always a pleasure to have on very knowledgeable someone we highly respect terry arco from hasa he is the product training content manager welcome terry hey thanks uh happy to be here uh michelle and dave good morning absolutely so uh, and most people know you, or probably a lot of people know you, Terry, but can you just remind people really how you got into the industry and really what your passion is in this industry? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I was getting married and I needed money. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, somebody offered me a job uh, as a pool cleaner. So I yeah. uh, actually got in uh, cleaning swimming pools, had no idea what I was doing, but realized that uh, I needed to learn a lot uh, very quickly. And um, basically, I, I went from there to uh, I partnered with somebody who had a, uh, a business, pool and spa business. Uh, he did building and uh, remodels and uh, service. And um, we did hot tub sales, chemical sales, pretty much everything in Southern California. So did that for several years, almost 10 years working at managing that business. Uh, and then went from there to uh, manufacturing and uh, went to work for uh, a pretty well-known uh, chemical and specialty chemical manufacturer in Southern California, uh, basically helping to develop product, um, doing technical service and uh, technical writing and so forth. Uh, and that's pretty much what I've done um, for the last probably 30 years of my life. Right. Uh, I worked with one particular uh, specialty chemical line company. Uh, I don't know if I can drop their name, but it was Seaclear. That's that's who a yep. lot of people know me as. They, they mm-hmm. kind of knew me as Mr. Seaclear. I was with them for 24 years sure. uh, as their technical, um, basically technical manager um, with, with that. So lots of experience. And uh, I've talked to a lot of people throughout the years, uh, pool pros in the field and have had my own practical experience in the field and uh, I've done a lot of uh, training and a lot of writing. I probably have, I think I have about over 100 published articles, which sounds really weird to me, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit oh, yeah, though, yeah. And I, and I am, uh, I, I, I am a CPO instructor. Yeah. Uh, and I do also uh, serve on the uh, Recreational Water Quality Committee of um, PHTA. Nice. Um, so we write a lot of fact sheets and things like that. So. And it seems like you have a passion for educating folks and really just, you know, training and keeping people up to date on what's going on. It seems like that's something that you really enjoy. So that's why we love having you on, Terry. Thanks so much. Yeah, it is definitely a passion of mine. Uh, going back to my day, there was very little education. So you really had to look hard for it. Um, so that's really what gave me my passion is I, I, I wanted to learn and then I also wanted to teach. Um, yes. And then I, I just love today because there's so many platforms like this um, to get education out. So, yeah, absolutely. So today, the, it's almost the other side of the coin. There's so much of it out there uh, and some of it conflicts. And, and you uh, so you have to kind of pick and choose and, and uh, um, learn the basics and and then decide where to go from there. That is true. That is true. Yes. 
so one and that that brings us really to our topic today um we wanted to talk a little bit about breakpoint chlorination it's part of the cpo training um they teach you how to do the math and and um but really <clears throat> when i when i was going through um the process of becoming a cpo instructor i was uh, asked to teach that chapter and I started getting grilled by the by my instructor and I'm like you know what there's gaps in my knowledge on this subject and I think maybe there is on a lot of us so I wanted to to um, delve a little deeper into it um, and really starting with with the basics the definition of the terms now we hear the terms breakpoint chlorination, that's the CPO term. Um, the IPSA manual also talks about shocking superchlorination. Um, so how about a little definition of terms? Are these terms interchangeable? Are, are there differences in, in, in the processes we're talking about here? Yeah, good question. And um, <laughs> speaking of articles, uh, I actually just wrote an article on exactly what you're asking. Um, wow. it, it was published in uh, Aqua Magazine. And I, th I think the title of it was something like, you know, uh, superchlorination, shock, hyperchlorination, breakpoint. And uh, uh, because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's my experience and obviously being involved uh, for as long as I have been and being on the Recreational Water Quality Committee, we discuss these things a lot. Uh, and there's a lot of discussion about what things mean. And uh, I, I guess I would say the pretty analogous type of uh, ter terminology in the pool industry is the word shock. And uh, boy, I found out that sure covers a lot of things. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was doing residential pools, I'll be quite honest with you, I did residential pools for almost 10 years. And uh, I, I don't think I ever heard the term breakpoint, or if somebody said it, I wouldn't have even known what, what it was they were talking about. Uh, and it wasn't until I kind of stepped into the commercial realm um, and then took a CPO class and start, then, then I learned about breakpoint and what breakpoint was. Uh, but I can remember and do recall that the term shock, the term superchlorinate, the term hyperchlorinate, breakpoint, I think I even heard breakpoint, even though I didn't know what it was, referred to as shocking uh, when I was doing residential pools. And so there's a lot of confusion there. And um, just going back even to, uh, I think, early 2000s or whatever, the EPA uh, and uh, the American Water Chemistry Council uh, came to the EPA and uh, there was confusion there about even the term shock. Uh, was that something that uh, meant that it had to be an EPA FIFRA registered product if it was a shock? Uh, what is shock doing? Is it killing bacteria? Um, so forth. So, so there was confusion there. And at that time, there were uh, non-chlorine shock products that were on the market. And the EPA was actually, uh, those non-chlorine shock products didn't make any kind of killing claims on the label. But the term shock was going to become actually something that where something would be required to be EPA registered as a pesticide, because they believed that term encompassed, uh, you know, the killing of bacteria. And uh, so there was a lot of discussion and so forth that went on at that time, obviously with the manufacturers of the non-chlorine shock. And then, so the EPA decided that uh, if you use that, if you use the term oxidizer 
or oxidating either in front of the word shock or behind the word shock and you didn't make any bacterial or organic contaminant uh, claims, you only made non-living contaminant claims on the product, then uh, it would not need the EPA registration. And so hmm. there was a lot of confusion there just at the term shock at, at that level. Um, but the article I wrote basically, and just real quickly to wrap this up, uh, Dave, is yes, there, there is a difference in those terms um, depending on what it is you're trying to accomplish. And um, so real quick, and, and the, you know, certainly anybody can look up the article in Aqua Magazine under my name, um, but uh, superchlorination is really, uh, superchlorination is more something you do basically um, to boost up the free uh, available chlorine. It's something you do when the, maybe the water's a little flat or hazy and, and has more of a chlorine need. Maybe you've got a bit of algae beginning to form. Um, so these are cases where you'd superchlorinate and superchlorination generally, uh, the definition of that is you're going to you're going to kick that uh, your chlorine level to about 10 to 20 parts per million. Um, now hyperchlorination, that's a whole different thing. Hyperchlorination is you, you're really going to wipe out anything in that pool, and that's typically about a 40 ppm, um, you know, introduction of chlorine. And 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 the typical uh, uh, scenario where hyperchlorination would be used uh, would be in in the instance of somebody who had a, uh, if, if there's a fecal um, release or a fecal accident, and particularly if you're trying to deal with crypto and make sure that you inactivate crypto. So, you know, going to raise the chlorine level 20 ppm, hold it there for 13 hours. Um, you know, that, that would be considered uh, like a hyperchlorination as well. And then um, when you get to break point, uh, again, there's confusion there. And I've talked to guys, I got a break point in my pool. What do you mean you got a break point in your pool? Well, I'm going to shock it. And, you know, and I say, well, okay, but what are you attempting to do for that break point? And so break point, the traditional thing about break point is uh, we all know that the, when chlorine is introduced to water with any kind of contaminants, and there's always contaminants in pool water, um, they, after the chlorine does its work, uh, or even before, um, it can combine with those contaminants, depending on the level of contaminants, and it creates combined chlorine, uh, or what we know as chloramines, and those are in basically three different uh, types, uh, you know, monochloramine, dichloramine, or trichloramine. And uh, so breakpoint, uh, you know, is traditionally, and you know, taught in CPO, is a method where you increase uh, the free available chlorine level to a point where you accomplish what's known as a break point or a breaking apart or uh, basically an eradication of those combined chlorines uh, and you oxidize them off. Um, you know, uh, and, and the primary one, I guess the basic one we always hear about is ammonia combined to, or chlorine combined to ammonia. Um, and uh, so, you know, the break point is the point at which you're going to oxidize all the ammonia out uh, as nitrogen gas, and then the chlorine becomes oxidized down to a chloride. So maybe to, to kind of focus this down, um, shocking is a very general term. It can Absolutely. It mean, kind of can mean whatever it means to you. Um, I think about how most residential pools are treated. Um, all the chlorine for the week is poured in in one dose. And uh, a lot of the guys who trained me and down to this day, a lot, a lot of guys don't measure. They just go up to a 10,000 <laughs> gallon pool and all oh, it needs a half a gallon this week or it needs a gallon. Well, if you do the math, it only takes 10.7 ounces of liquid chlorine to give you one part per million in a residential pool. If you pour a gallon in that pool, 
you're shocked that you've super chlorinated. So a lot of these pools get that every week. Yeah, that, that, that's very true. And I, and I, you know, and if you're using a 12.5% liquid, you're actually getting uh, 12.5 ppm in 10,000 gallons if you put a gallon in. Um, so yeah, that's a, that, that's quite a bit. And that, that is a, a super chlorination. And then, you know, if somebody, if somebody thinks, um, you know, well, I'm going to shock the pool and I'm going to hit it with two gallons this week. Uh, they may have accomplished a hyper, a hyper chlorination at that right. point. Um, so yeah. So, uh, so then, uh, super chlorination too is, is, um, kind of a, a, a non-specific amount of chlorine. Breakpoint chlorination it comes out of CPO training and yes. it is a calculated formula that tells you based on the amount of uh, total chlorine in the pool or combined chlorine in the pool, um, you dose this amount of chlorine to deal with it. And so, and that's one of the things I think uh, there's, there's some myths out there that CPO is only for commercial pools. CPO is only if you're if you're doing residential pools, you don't need it. What I believe strongly is that everybody should get should start with this as their basic training because it teaches you not to fly by the seat of your pants, not to add it chlorine based on well that you know sure. that seems about right. Um, no, absolutely, and I, I think the most probably vital thing for a uh, residential tech from CPO that they're going to get, which is another thing I had no concept of when I was doing residential pools, but just basically learning that, that chemical dosing method, right. um, you know, to make sure, you know, so if I got a, a, a million gallon pool and you know how much, and I, I'm reading something that says add 10 ounces per 10,000 uh, gallons, mm -hmm. you know, how do I figure that out? And I think right. that's one of the very beneficial things of CPO is it teaches you the, the math and the uh, dosing exactly. and so forth. And the, and the very first equation they teach you is how to measure the gallonage in your pool. How do you properly manage a pool and dose the chemicals if you don't know the size of the pool? How many yeah. gallons are you treating? And, yes, and absolutely. So, um, so Without getting into the math, let, let, let's just say that it's out there and, and that it um, uh, breakpoint chlorination is designed to get the chloramines out of the pool and, and free up your available chlorine to build a residual and, and work to protect the bathers. Um, yes. But there's different types of chloramines. Um, the, the basic Early on in the process, the monochloramines, they're, they're fairly harmful, even have a little bit of residual um, sanitizing capability, although they act, they're very slow to act. But the longer they last in the water and the more they react with things, they degenerate into uh, a lot more serious uh, health issue-causing health issue uh, chemicals. Uh, trihalomethanes. We, we've talked to uh, Chip Blatchley on, on the podcast uh, talking about cyanogen chloride, um, nitrogen trichloride. When you get these types of things in the, in the pool, um, there, there's cases on the CDC website where it sent people to the hospital um, yeah. in an indoor pool inhaling these things. So um, the 
how effective is breakpoint chlorination at treating the really bad uh, chloramines? Hey, well, you know, the thing is, you got to look at you got to look at the history of breakpoint and. You know, uh, some people, and even I myself, you know, I didn't know that, you know, where Breakpoint came from. Um, you know, it, it, was it the pool industry? Where was it? Well, no, it wasn't the pool industry. So, uh, I mean, Breakpoint goes back to the 1920s when, when they were treating drinking water with chlorine. Uh, and basically, uh, the, the actual Breakpoint method that was determined that they came up with was for the purpose of removing ammonia from uh, drinking water, or in some cases, wastewater as well. Um, so, so basically, what they were trying to do was just just to remove the one thing, ammonia. And a lot of times, in the case of drinking water, uh, the ammonia was added initially because they were trying to deal with odors or other things like that, or, uh, for various reasons, or even trying to stabilize chlorine, um, because you do, as you pointed out, you do create a stable form of chlorine. When you combine ammonia with chlorine and you create a pure monochloramine, uh, that is a disinfectant. Um, and um, that, that's actually still practiced in drinking water today. Uh, and even you might hear the term chloramination. Uh, that's purposely done because it is a, uh, a more stable, uh, slower reacting, longer lasting disinfectant. So they can pump these monochloramines into the pipes and the, the, the drinking water stays uh, disinfectant until it goes through all the pipes and all the system and into your house and out, out your faucet. So that's kind of theoretical drinking water treatment. So breakpoint was where they were, if, if they were having problems with too much ammonia, uh, trying to um, balance the chlorine residuals and so forth, um, that was developed from that standpoint. Now, it's interesting to note, again, we were talking about just chlorine combining with ammonia, and, and that's where breakpoint was uh, originated. And um, basically, uh, initially, and, and this is actually in, if you look in uh, White's handbook on chlorination, he talks a lot about this and the development of breakpoint for drinking water. Uh, the initial uh, beginning of breakpoint was a three to two ratio. Uh, so basically, three moles chlorine, two moles ammonia. If you want to look at it that way, and you and you could you could get removal of ammonia from the water. Uh, they also found, and this is early on, but they found that once you kind of hit that threshold of five to one, so five to one ratio, um, you could develop begin to develop dichloramines and even trichloramines from that standpoint. Um, this process went on. It's it, it's extremely complicated, and if you if you read White's handbook, uh, you know definitely if you can't sleep at night, you can read the whole chapter on breakpoint. And by the time you're done, you'd be knocked out. But um, it, it it got to a point where they found that at, at at a certain pH, and the pH was generally between six to eight, um, they came up with this determination of about from seven point six to just about ten. Uh, as, as a molar ratio. And that began to become the practice. But again, keep in mind, all they were trying to do was remove chemical ammonia from the water. Um, so you bring up a good point. And the very good point that you bring up, and, and you'll find this in White's handbook, you'll find this in, uh, you know, CPO manual, uh, you'll find this in any technical manual, organic chloramines. And organic chloramines are basically anything from uh, organic nitrogen that's in there. 
And I can tell you, uh, and I always, when I teach basic water chemistry class, you know, one of the first statements I make, and Dave, maybe you've heard me say this, I say our pools that we use and the pools that you service would be nearly perfect, except for one thing. And the one thing is people get in them yeah. and people use <laughs> right, them. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what people bring is people bring, you know, perspiration, uh, they bring amino acids, creatine, proteins, uh, cosmetics, all these organic, urea, urea is the big one. It's in your perspiration, it's in your pee, and uh, we all know people pee in a pool. Uh, I just fecal saw matter. a survey. And fecal matter uh, as well. Uh, tenth a gram of fecal matter on a showered body. Um, so, you know, just you imagine 50 kids jumping in the pool and then do your math on that. Um, so all these things really, Breakpoint was not designed or created to deal with those. And, um, and we all know also superchlorination, any kind of shocking really is not real effective against uh, organic bound chloramines from that standpoint. So, and that kind of brings up another thing that I, that I thought about as I was going through the CPO training. Um, we're, we're really limited in, in terms of our ability to test the water. We don't, when we, when we test for combined chlorine, it's not telling us are these monochloramines or is it cyanogen chloride? It just, it all shows up the same. It's just a darkening of color. And um, so I, I talked to Blatchley again about this and he's like, well, you know, these are, you'd need scientific grade uh, instruments to measure yeah. laboratory grade instruments yeah. and uh, we're not going to do that so no no and those those instruments are out there but they're expensive and it, yeah it's it, it's a, they're difficult to use and you have to be a scientist a lot of times to kind of figure out you know that you're doing the method right and so forth uh, and you know so as I as I said I, I teach CPO I've taught CPO for a long time and and this question always came up during the break part well how do I tell the difference <laughs> and I had kind of this um I think, I don't know if it was too smart or not smart. It was just kind of an archaic method. I said, well, hey, you do your DPD test. You test for your combines. You superchlorinate. Uh, you let your chlorine come back down or you neutralize it or whatever. Then you do a test again. If you still have chloramines, they're probably organic. You know, and at that point, mm -hmm. if you do still have a good level of chloramines showing up in your test, then I would suggest you probably want to dilute some water out. Yeah, that's so. about the only way that you can do it is if, if you've got the really bad stuff. Um, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of limited even in terms of, uh, um, equipment we could add to the pool. Blatchley was talking about, uh, a way of aerating the water and getting them out that way, but then you've got to keep those fumes away from people. Yes. Um, and, and it's just, there, you know, it's not something you can just go down to your local, uh, SCP and pick up something and add it to the pool to get rid of those. Yeah, and I'm just going to say, you know, um, like I said, I, I, when I started out, I, I was a lot in the residential, um, but then I went to commercial and I actually a big part of my job um, when I was uh, when I was with Seaclear uh, in the later years um, was doing um, commercial technical work and, and commercial sales. So uh, I dealt with a lot of commercial pools, went to a lot of commercial pools. Um, I was in a lot of facilities. 
And I can tell you for the most part, uh, just about any indoor facility that I walked into, uh, there was that, you know, prevalent, overwhelming uh, chlorine odor uh, that mm-hmm. was there. And it just seemed to be a, a normal in an indoor, in indoor pools. Um, but as time went on and as systems started to change and as, um, you know, these secondary um, disinfectant systems began to kind of become more prevalent, uh, I started to notice and particularly in newer pools. And I can give you one example. I have a, I, I live in a small little town, Snohomish, Washington. Um, and uh, we had an old pool, an old indoor pool where the chloramines were so bad uh, that what happened was um, uh, they had steel girders that held up the building. Well, the steel girders had dissolved from because oh, wow. the, the, the chloramine in the air there was was terrible. I can tell you, I, I tried taking my kids there a couple of times when they were little and I walked in the door and we turned around and walked back out because it was just, yeah. it was awful. You couldn't even see it was so bad. Um, so they condemned that building. The good news from that was uh, we got a brand new aquatic facility out of that uh, deal. And this uh, brand new aquatic facility, um, uh, the, the main competitive pool was, a, was, was salt, um, salt water generated. Um, they also had UV um, and it just, just had a state-of-the-art system. Uh, and I remember getting called out on that pool um, to help out the operator. And that was one of the first facilities that I ever walked into where I didn't smell chlorine. Um, right. and, and, and this is, I'll say this now and maybe we'll say it later, but I'm a firm believer and uh, in, in what you're doing too, Dave, um, with, with you know, what you do with ozone. Um, is any proactive oxidation, uh, you know, if we have proactive oxidation, and that even goes to um, if somebody doesn't have ozone, doesn't have UV or all that, um, but if they are, um, uh, you know, really, really diligent at um, proactive, even superchlorination, you can reduce those organ- that organic load to where you don't have those contaminants and you don't, you don't end up forming those trihalomethanes uh, that off gas and, and create all that irritant. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of advancement in, on the commercial end that's going to help. And certainly the other one is air handling as well. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get that bad air out. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I agree with you. Uh, I really like uh, the idea of, of chlorine as not necessarily a standalone sanitizer. Um, I, I do know that ozone works extremely well, both, uh, chlorine and ozone are slow to react with the ammonia-based contaminants that cause chloramines, but together the chlorine breaks these things down into things that the ozone is able to oxidize right away. So if you have a properly sized ozone system, you just, you don't get them. The, the best way to not have the really bad chloramines in your pool is not to let chloramines get started, not to give them a foothold. Yes, absolutely agreed. I mean, if you're, um, and this is, you know, this is another thing I think, and I, I think we're, uh, if we go back in pool history and so forth, um, you know, our pools, the pools we have today, and of course now we're kind of in this pandemic thing and there's closures and all that, and I'm talking commercially again here, uh, but until that, let's just say pre-pandemic days or whatever, um, it's my firm belief uh, that our, uh, our commercial pools were absolutely overloaded, absolutely overloaded. Um, and, and, they, and that pools, these pools were not designed 
um, for the uh, bather load and the length of hours that a lot of these facilities began to incorporate. You know, I think, you know, when I was a kid, maybe, and I went to a commercial pool or an indoor pool, it was, you know, the pool was open from, you know, 10 to six or something, you know, and that's the way it was it, 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 <laughs> in our days. And so I think that uh, from a chemical standpoint, from a filtration and a turnover rate and a recovery standpoint, uh, that water was a lot better because it just it just had the time to sort of recover. But then we kind of got into this new world of, you know, where you've got swim teams, you've got you've got the seniors, you've got the aerobics program and and, out, and you've got aquatic facilities that have to make money and they have to make revenue. So they're bringing in as many people as they can. They're staying open as long as they can. And those systems just aren't designed to handle the length of hours and so forth and not have enough recovery time and, and, and allow the chemical to do its work. Um, so I, I think that was a big part of the problem and is a big part of the problem. Well, I think it's a problem too in the, in the light commercial world, hotels, motels, yes. HOAs, yes. Oh. apartment complexes. Um, the systems are very poorly designed and very poorly regulated. There's no, chlorine, there's no proper chlorine dosing system on these pools. No. A lot of them are still even managed by hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. With high, you know, as high of cyanuric acid levels as the health department will allow. And uh, we had one of the kind of running gags on our podcast early on was we'd ask people in the industry, you know, would you get into a, a hotel pool at the end of the day after a long day on the trade show floor? Uh, would what we have is an industry full of people that won't use our own product. Oh yeah, no. And I, uh, as a guy who, as a guy who traveled tons um, yeah. up until the pandemic um, and spent a lot of time in hotels, um, you know, there, there, there's always that familiar, you open the door and, and, and there's the chlorine smell in the lobby, uh, you know, yeah. coming yeah. from the pool. If there's an indoor pool and I, you know, yeah. I, I can tell you, I can't tell you the number of places I've gone to and I've walked in and uh, you know, you can look over and, and, and you're checking in and you can look over and there's the pool. You can see the pool. It's an indoor pool in an enclosure and yeah, you, yeah. you can see it. And uh, uh, I've, I've seen pools that literally I've seen pools that look like a vat of milk. Uh, oh. This is no joke, a vat of milk. And I've looked over and thought, Oh my God, that pool's closed or whatever. And then as I'm looking, I see little heads popping up out of the water um, and, and the pool's open. Uh, but I think the one point I wanna bring out is that um, you're right, Dave, you're right about um, the different species of chlorine and chloramines uh, that are in the water uh, that Brightpoint is just not designed to handle. Um, yeah. And you have to use other systems. And I'm a firm believer in um, layers of protection yeah. Uh, I think chlorine is one of the probably vital layers uh, that's needed. And probably the main reason I say that is um, from the standpoint of chlorine's ability to oxidize and chlorine's ability to keep a residual. Um, I think those are two important factors from chlorine. Um, however, you know, chlorine, uh, you know, I teach this in, in, in chemistry too. And when I talk about proactive oxidation and those kinds of things, why do we use chlorine in a pool? And I ask this question when I teach basic water chemistry. I say, what, why, why are you putting chlorine in your pools when you go service your pools? What are you doing that for? You just, this is just something you do or what? It, you know, and, and I get the answer, you know, well, what, well, we're trying to kill bacteria. Somebody, you know, will raise their hand and finally say that. And, and I say, that's a, that, yes, that's the point. The primary reason we're servicing that pool and putting a sanitizer in there is because we don't want the people to use the pool to get sick. 
Right. Because um, if they get sick and they die, then you don't have customers <laughs> and then you're out of business, right? So, you know, or they're just not going to use you anymore. So that is the primary reason for a chlorine sanitizer. However, if that chlorine sanitizer is getting tied up, uh, oxidizing all these um, organic contaminants and so forth that are in the water, uh, it's not doing its job and you're wasting money. Um, yeah. So we have to develop levels and systems where we proactively oxidize and we deal with those contaminants and, and that's ozone or UV, um, regular shocking, however that's done. Uh, and then you add your, um, you know, your sanitizer and you're, you're dealing with bacteria and so forth. So there has to be right. layers and there has to be a system. Um, well, that brings up another limitation of our testing capabilities that that we have when you roll up on a pool like you said say you're servicing that milky pool that everybody's jumping in that a pool that reaches that state not only has no chlorine in it but it hasn't had for quite some time yes yeah. we don't have any way of testing what that oxidative load is that we have no. to get rid of before we can start to rebuild a chlorine residual so it's just kind of guesswork and seat of the pants when, when we roll up on a cloudy pool, um, what do we do? Well, and, and um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna tell you my number one answer in a pool like that, which I told someone at a hotel where I, when, the one I was telling you about, I witnessed it. Um, and uh, I informed the guy that I was a, <laughs> a CPO operator and I couldn't in good conscience check in and not say something about that pool. Um, and uh, my, my primary advice on a pool like that is if you can drain it, uh, just drain it, you know, because water's cheaper than chemicals. And it, when you, when you're at that standpoint, and again, right. like you said, Dave, you got to do some figuring. You don't know how much, how much is it going to take? So that would be my number one. Um, if, if that's an impossibility or whatever, it, and I would say, even if you can drain half of it, if you can drain a quarter of it and dilute it out, dilution is, goes a long ways in that case. Um, then I would say, uh, but, but if you couldn't drain any, or, or that was a problem, then, I, then that's where I'm going to say hyperchlorination, hyperchlorination, yeah. um, hit it with 40 PPM, you know, um, and, and uh, close the pool with, for crying out loud. Oh, close the pool, absolutely. <laughs> oh well, I mean, if you're hyperchlorine, the pool must <laughs> be closed. So. Yeah. You know? I mean, unless you want to, you know, bleach somebody <laughs> completely right. out. Um, yeah. So, so that would be, that's where I would start there. And I mean, again, it's a, you know, I, <laughs> pool, the pool business and pool chemistry is, it, it, it's, it's like alchemy. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, it basically right. is. There's, there's a lot. And, you know, I'm, I, I find this with, and I worked closely, very closely um, with a very intelligent PhD microbiologists, scientists, um, you know, all sorts of people. And I can tell you, and everybody's, you know, right now you hear science, science, science is kind of, you know, you know, to defend anything and everything. Well, you know, uh, science is, um, it's, it's theoretical. It's, it's, it's very theoretical and experimental. And um, there's a lot we don't understand. And we're talking about a subject right now, breakpoint, that is still not completely understood. Um, right. You can read White's manual. You can talk to Blatchley. Uh, all the, we're still, they're still doing the research because we don't understand this. We don't have it down and we don't know all the reactions. And it's that way with anything. Um, the complete reactions are still never completely understood. And that's why we have science and that's why we research and that's why we keep going. 
Right. Um, there's another really important thing that I think comes out of CPO training. It, it, it trains you to think about is that a swimming pool is an open environment. It, yes. it, people get in it. Animals get in it. Stuff blows in it. Mm-hmm. Things drop out of the sky. Pollution, smog. I, I mean, it's just a, every pool is a little bit different. To me, there's a huge difference between science as it's performed in a laboratory and science in the real world, which is what basically all of us as pool technicians are, are really, pra- we're, we're practicing science. Yes, absolutely, whether we know it or not. Um, and it all comes down to really the, the quality of our pool care, the science behind how we treat a pool comes down to our data collection. Yes. And it comes down to that doing the math that we talked about earlier, knowing the gallonage yes. in our pools, uh, measuring uh, our water quality thoroughly, um, keeping track of how we're dosing things. Uh, the, that's really yeah. the only way that we know when we start to have water problems, we can look back over our records and go, whoa, here's a blip here. Here's, and we can yeah. start to take a scientific approach to the way we manage our pools. But until we do that, if we're just flying by the seat of our pants, we're guessing. We, we really have nothing to go on. No, I, that's, that's a huge point, uh, Dave. And, and uh, the biggest part of that is the data. It is the data. And as I said, I've spent a lot of time around science. science I've spent a lot of time in labs, uh, particularly one place I worked with. Uh, and and I, that's the one thing I'll tell you about anybody who's a chemist, a scientist, a microbiologist that's working in a lab is those guys keep data. I mean, they write everything down, they keep track of everything, and they evaluate that data, and they compare that data, and that's how you come up with good science. You have to have the data. You have to have good data. You have to understand what you're doing. You have to look at it, review it, compare it, and see where the differences are, you know, where the incongruities are, uh, and make changes based on intelligent data, and uh, you're right. That's what a pool tech uh, needs to do, and so I would say for anybody who's not keeping track of or, or keeping records, and we talk about this in CPO, right? Uh, it's a, it's a, it, it gets into negligence and and, and going yeah. into uh, you know a court of law or whatever. Is that you must have good records yeah. um, for, for what you're doing. If if you make somebody sick, or if you, not necessarily you made them sick, but if they get sick in your pool and they decide it's your fault that they're, they're going to blame your water chemistry, or if uh-huh. your plasters. Uh, failing and, and they want to blame your water chemistry. If you don't have the, the records and the data, you've got no way to defend yourself. It's automatically yeah. going to get dumped on your shoulders. Yes, absolutely true. And the other point that I'll bring up here since, um, as you as we pointed out earlier with the advent of uh, social media and the internet and Instagram and all this and all the so-called knowledge that is out there and education that is out there, <laughs> Uh, there is a lot of incorrect education out there. And, uh, you know, the one thing I came across, even when trade shows were still meeting, uh, is, um, and I'd be teaching a a basic water chemistry class. And so I'm teaching my basic water chemistry class and I'm teaching everything in there according to standards. Um, You know, when I'm talking water balance, whatever I'm talking, you know, and, and I'm saying, here's the standards. Okay. And then I'll get somebody to raise my hand and say, I was just in another class and they told me I could keep my pH at eight because of da, 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 da. 
And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You want to do that because it works or they gave you some other system or told you, you know, that they were gurus about this or that. But let me just say one thing. Uh, if you have something happen at one of your pools where a client gets sick, a kid gets pink eye, whatever, and you get sued and taken into court and you maybe kept data and you're showing, you know, hey, I kept my pH at eight because so-and-so at the, uh, you know, trade show told me it's a whole new, you know, winky dinky method. Um, and then they're going to say, well, here's the standards. Yeah. Here's the PHTA standards. A lawyer is going to get the standards and they're going to say, these are the standards and you weren't in the standards. Right. This is important. You know, yeah. there's a reason for these things and you may agree or disagree, but again, from a legal standpoint, you've got to be working within the standards. 100% agree. Yeah. Yep. So, so Terry, the other thing I was going to ask you about is, um, and in terms of the formation of chloramines, it seems to me like one of the, and, and this is a discussion we had with, with uh, Chip Blatchley as well, that when you have a constant cycle of a pool running out of chlorine, building an oxidative load, shocking it back to health, and then trying to rebuild a residual, repeatedly going through a cycle like that, um, that in itself is, is a recipe for creating chloramines. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And there's, there's a ton of scenarios it, it just, just involved in that. And again, as I pointed out, um, and I'm sure, you know, uh, Chip would agree with that. And if you read some of, uh, you know, Chip's, um, you know, research and articles, he talks a lot about the varying and different types of chlorine species um, that are in there that we still don't even understand. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, bather load plays a huge, huge part in this. Um, air handling plays, plays a, a huge part in this. The source water plays a huge part in this. Yep. I, I had a situation I dealt with a YMCA, um, a brand new YMCA that was built. And um, the air handling system had problems um, from the get-go. Uh, they, they actually needed to have evacuators uh, put in. Um, they, they, there's a whole thing in the design that was just completely off where um, they were even having the, the bad air was kind of being drawn into one corner of the building. And then <laughs> listen to this. So you, you had the, the sort of the chloramine gas or the chloramine air being drawn into one corner of the building. And in the corner of that building, they had their hot tub oh. right in front of the vent. So you had all this um, evaporation uh, and hot, moist air from the hot tub in front of the vent and, and this air was passing through that uh, and, and their vents were corroding. Um, but the other thing we, we found out, uh, the guy couldn't figure out is he was trying to dilute out the water, but then he'd still have combined chlorine. Well, come to find out that his source water was chlorinated. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was, that was a whole nother thing. So, and again, this will lead in that cycle if you don't understand that. Um, right. So we did, a, I did an in-depth review with this guy and you know, uh, air handling had to be changed. Uh, they needed to add evacuators. Um, when he topped off or diluted, uh, I actually suggested uh, that he add a little bit of a superchlorination of, of liquid to deal with the chlorination that was coming in because those are just monochloramines. And if right. you hit them at the right time, monochloramines are going to quickly convert to dichloramine and that dichloramine should gas out. 
um, if you're doing it properly. So, um, but you are right. I mean, right now there are so many different scenarios and just bather load again uh, alone right. enough and what's going on and what's on bodies um, and, and what's coming, <laughs> what's coming out of people. Um, I think somebody, uh, somebody did a study on, on uh, pharmaceuticals and things like that, that are in our systems that are coming out. Uh, and, but they did some research on kind of the top items you know what one of the number one contaminants uh, from a person was that they found out was caffeine. Really? Caffeine. Yeah. And then now, now this will blow so your that's mind. that's oozing out of your pores and to the Well, water? obviously, if you're urinating and you just had a Starbucks prior, uh, uh, oh, you see. know, that's, that's going to be it. <laughs> um, but another thing, uh, one other thing that I thought was amazingly interesting, and I guess maybe because it was summertime or whatever, <laughs> Uh, I think the number two or number three item that was coming from bathers uh, was DEET, yeah. mosquito repellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and we're living in this world today where we have so many products and so many different chemicals and things that we didn't have 20 years ago that right. are being used and that are in the atmosphere and that are in the water. Yeah. And it, it all plays a part. There's a study in Canada that, that happened recently where they met, they used aspartame artificial sweetener yes. to measure how much urine was in a pool because they figure that's the only sources of that getting into right. a pool is if somebody right. were, were urinated out. Well, they've also done studies uh, where people have ingested the, um, uh, the pool water and uh, then when they urinate, there's cyanuric acid coming from the, the urine as well. So I don't wow. know if that's a good way. I don't know if that's a good CYA test <laughs> for levels, but um, that's been done. So sure, wow. CYA is a is an entirely another rabbit hole that we can climb yeah. down, yeah. and we probably don't have time for it today. But no. what I wanted to do, and kind of in closing, is um, it seems to me like the best way to deal with chloramines is to do everything within our power to prevent them from forming yes. in the first place. Yes, I agree. Absolutely agree. So from my standpoint, um, you know, non-device or whatever, I'm going to say, you know, any proactive oxidation or just regular oxidation uh, would help. Look, I go way back to that, that pool I told you about, the, the, the first pool in my little town that uh, that ended up dissolving because they had such a chloramine problem. Yes. Um, I went to the operator of that pool before they condemned the pool. And I, I, I basically told them the pool was going to get condemned if they went too much longer this way. And um, he asked me for a suggestion. And one of the suggestions I said was um, because he said that they were using non-chlorine shock, but they were only using half the amount um, uh, because of a budget. And uh, I, I told him, I said, look, here's how you have the dose. Here's the gallonage of your pool. So try it. And he actually began uh, doing proactive oxidation just with non-chlorine shock and using the correct amount. And he called me on the phone to say, I've noticed such a difference. The air is cleaner. Everything's right. better. So thanks for that advice. So just doing things properly and being proactive yeah. at doing some oxidation, that's number one. But, but then let's go on to, you know, I'm a big proponent devices, you know, anything like, like ozone and UV are the two. Um, and both of those certainly have their, um, you know, their valor in, um, you know, dealing with organic materials and knocking those down. So you don't have, 
uh, you know, the buildup to deal with. And again, the main purpose of putting your chlorine in is you want to kill bacteria and protect your swimmers. So anything you can do proactively, um, you know, to deal with uh, the organic uh, waste and even the ammonia waste coming from perspiration and um, so forth uh, is a huge plus. So whatever that is, um, yeah. My, what I also think, um, and one thing I'm a big proponent of is using chlorine properly, which means dosing it properly. Correct. Um, there are so many systems out there that are ORP pH controllers that are only slightly more than the cost of a salt system, but you're dosing the right amount of chlorine at the right time and, and you avoid these wild swings in, in chlorine residual. Um, that in itself, it seems to me, if you kept the right amount of chlorine in a pool at all times, regardless of bather load, um, that would in itself reduce chloramines. No, that, that, absolutely true. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, again, it comes down to, um, you know, knowing the pool, uh, knowing the behavior and the, and the habits and things that are going on in the pool. Um, and, uh, you know, having your chlorine adjusted for what's going to be going on in the pool. Um, obviously, you know, Dave, I mean, if somebody's going to have a swim party, if you don't deal with that, uh, you know, or you come back the next week, you've got problems, you know, you need to yeah. adjust for the, the behavior of the particular pool and what's going to be going on in there. And, and you need to adjust your chlorine. And, and that's why, again, I'm a proponent of, you know, just do some regular proactive oxidation, you know. Yeah. Um, so another dosing system. Uh, that's considerably more low tech, but you have a product known as the liquidator that, right. that will dose chlorine gradually throughout the week. And, and I'm actually really anxious to try, try one of these out on, on a really simple pool, but um, as opposed to trying to pour all of your chlorine into the pool directly once a week, pour it into something that's going to dose it gradually and, and release it gradually so that you, again, avoid those wild swings. Yeah, um, no, and thanks for bringing that up. And, and, and that's definitely the beauty. And I, obviously, there's different various ways to feed liquid. Um, you, you could use a Rolochem unit, something like that, or a peristaltic pump, I guess. Um, but Hasa has the liquidator. And um, the, the kind of the cool thing about the, the liquidator, and we, and we have a new version, um, actually, coming out this year um, is that it relies strictly on hydraulics. Um, you know, there's, it's pretty simple. There's no additional electric electricity or anything required. Uh, it's kind of a in and out uh, system. <laughs> and uh, the cool thing about it too, is it kind of perfectly mixes the, the pool water with the chlorine that's in the unit um, and then disperses that. As, as I said, you can adjust it you can actually do a super chlorinate with it if you wanted to, if you opened it, you know, full up and let it go for a while. And then you just, you know, ratchet it back down. Um, but it's a cool, simple little unit uh, where, yeah, you can get that daily delivery and you don't have to kind of do the once a week bomb or uh, you don't have to kind of say, Hey, I'm going to leave this half a gallon with, you know, Mrs. Smith and or Mr. Smith and hope that they put it in in the middle of the week. And they usually don't. So right. they never um, do. 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, great system. And uh, I, I mean, I'm just kind of a, as an aside, I'm going to say with uh, what's going on with the tablet situation right now, yeah. uh, the liquidators are uh, in high demand. Um, so I'm sure. Uh, and that the other thing too, that I, the way I understand it, the liquidator also uh, separates out the, the impurities, the contaminants, the salts. Yeah, so, um, and that's uh, that's a proprietary uh, technology that we have too. That the, the use of the um, the sodium hypochlorite in the liquidator, um, it actually does have a, a softening effect of the water, and it does mm. uh, separate out <clears throat> some of the calcium salts, um, and they will accumulate in the bottom of this. Uh, you know, the tanks that you have, and then probably once a year, maybe a couple times a year, you, you clean those out, they're inert, you can put them in a bag or whatever, or you can put them in your garden for that standpoint. <clears throat> but yeah, it, uh, that's a really cool thing about the unit too, is that it will reduce, and it'll actually reduce the, the need for acid um, as a standpoint from that um, as well. I'll link to it too, because I think there's a video out there, Terry. Aren't you talking about the liquidator? Uh, yeah, the liquidator. Uh, there, there's kind of some archaic videos on that. We're, oh, they're archaic we're, videos. Okay. Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, but that's fine. Um, and they certainly, probably hasa.com is probably the best place to mm. kind of go and get info on that. So. Gotcha. Yeah. We're also going to provide a Thanks. link uh, to the aqua article that Terry was talking about, the super chlorination article. That is actually in the description of this video if you're watching it on YouTube. So feel free to click on that if you'd like to read more uh, from that article that Terry did in Aqua. And you're, aren't you a contributing editor or author? Uh, or? Yes, I, I, I am. Okay, I thought so, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I think I've been writing so much and for so many years that they just decided to- uh, Yeah, they're like, just put him in there. Contributing editor. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in closing, did you have something else, Dave? Because I wanted to close up with the bleach thing. No, that's fine. Um, okay. Thank you, Terry. We really appreciate your time here, and you've given us a lot of really good information to think about. Hopefully, As always. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah. Hope, hopefully, closing, we, moving forward, we can uh, start treating our pools a little better. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Well, that's the plan. I, I, it's good to have information like this being put out there, so really appreciate you guys. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. In closing, I want to talk about bleach just for a second because Terry mentioned this to me, gosh, probably a year ago at the beginning of the pandemic, Terry, you and I had a side conversation about bleach. And Terry mentioned to me that in regards to colds or any kind of bacteria, colds, flu, any of that type of stuff, his family has been had a bleach solution in their kitchen for years. What'd you say, 20 years or something? Yep. You have yeah. a you know diluted bleach solution in your kitchen. So every day you spray down the kitchen after you clean and or cook and do the dishes and all that. You spray everything down. I, I don't know if you do doorknobs and things like that too. Yeah, everything. You said yeah. you refrigerator handles. Oh, refrigerator handles. Yeah. And you said you really thought that contributed to the family being less sick throughout the years. Like Absolutely. Less cold, uh, less flu, uh, things like that. Could you talk about I, that? Yeah, no, I can tell you that. And, you know, and both my kids are adults now, um, <clears throat> but uh, through all their childhood and so forth, where even we would even hear of, you know, the classroom, you know, I mean, you know how it is when a classroom, somebody gets the stomach flu and it's every kid has a stomach flu and, and, all, and right. we'd hear of friends having the stomach flu and, and really our kids rarely got any kind of stomach ailments, stomach flus, uh, a lot of things, rarely sick. And I'm, I, I'm going to say it's a big part of that because, um, I, I was at a presentation and I listened to Charles Gerba, who's a microbiologist from Arizona State University. And he made the comment that, you know, your kitchen is dirtier than your bathroom. And actually your kitchen sink has more bacteria and germs than your toilet bowl. Mm. 
right. because of all the food prep and everything else that goes on in there. And he said that a simple spray down of, you know, you take, take a quart spray bottle and, you know, you, you can basically just put, you know, maybe half a teaspoon, you know, yeah. drops of chlorine in there. It doesn't take much. Um, and uh, when you do your cleanup and you're finished doing your dishes or whatever, uh, you know, spray your knobs down, your counters, your sink, you know, your sink uh, handles and so forth, just wipe them down. And he said, you're, you're killing a lot of that and you're disinfecting a lot of the, a lot of those things that cause, you know, those, uh, those stomach issues, you know, flus, things like that. So um, we've done it. We practice it. And, and I can tell you, we've had a, a fairly healthy, healthy family <laughs> through yeah. 20 years. So. I just feel like with, you know, bacteria being a big topic of discussion in many, many ways, and there's lots of differing opinions about one thing or what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. But I thought this is a way that we cannot, we can all get behind and maybe it'll help prevent the cold at your house or the flu Absolutely. or whatever and, might be out there. You know, I mean, I mean, if you look on the CDC sites and you look even on uh, World Health Organization, uh, you know, a lot of these um, health authorities and everything, and it's uh, liquid sodium hypochlorite bleach is one of the number one things they're recommending for even, you know, COVID prevention uh, and yeah. so forth. And so, and, and you know, I, I, not to tout articles I've written, but I, I, I wrote an article on the history of chlorine bleach and, and how right. it's been used throughout the ages to prevent uh, virus, like, you know, cholera and typhoid and things like that. In fact, uh, the reason chlorine is used in our drinking water is because of typhoid. You know, there was such right. a huge typhoid outbreak and then somebody came up with the idea of adding chlorine to disinfect it and the typhoid cases went down to near zero. Um, so good practical historical, um, yes. you know, product. And maybe you'll prevent somebody in your household from getting a cold or flu. So I recommend doing that. I've been doing it ever since you told me about it Yeah. Um, last year, early last year. So just another tip there to help out, maybe not pool related, but still a way to, you know, try to prevent bad, you know, colds or things happening in your household from spreading. So I was a good idea. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much Thanks. Terry, for coming on. Thanks, Terry. Yeah, you bet. Thank you guys. Yeah, it's always a pleasure having you. Yeah, thank you. A new voice in the industry, a resource for all, education for you. This is Pool Pro Podcast build relationships, and share important news as we get ready for our next backyard adventure. Pool Pro Podcast, backyard adventures are better together. Please take a moment to share, like, and review our content with all of those that would be interested.